You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant Church. We're an evangelical church located outside Ellsworth, Wisconsin. And in order to love our neighbors during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are currently not gathering in person, but you can join us live online on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. We have a live stream every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening. All right, so today um, we're going to be finishing our relational covenant. We've been walking through our relational covenant, and we're going to be in uh, the book of Colossians. Uh, If you've got your Bible at home, I I invite you to get it out. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. Uh, So we're going to be looking at that, and we're going to read one other little bit of Colossians uh, later in the the service. But if you want to turn there, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation uh, this week because I think it takes um, what is um, sort of a uh, kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of hard to read to, for me in the NIV. So we're, we're using the NLT. I think it'll, it'll fit a little bit better. Um, and it'll just, it, it's a little more clear. But anyway, so Colossians 1, 15 through 23. So at Bethel, we've been talking about our relational covenant together. We've been going through this document that we came up with. Um, you know, a few years ago as a church, we all sat uh, downstairs in the fellowship hall around big round tables. Um, we read scripture together. We prayed together. And we came up with this document. And the reason we did this is because we knew that in the life of the church, in God's mission, uh, God often brings us into places where we're going to (laughs) disagree, where we're going to struggle, where things aren't going to be working quite right. Is there an issue over there, Patrick? Oh, that's your soda. (laughs) Sorry. That's the problem is I'm not, I'm not discreet. <laughs> I was like, I hear a hissing. It sounded like, a, like one of those old-fashioned bombs. <laughs> Perfect. All right, all right. Anyway, so, that's, so we wrote this document together. We prayed together, and we agreed to it uh, because we believe that um, conflict in churches and in life is not a um, sign that we're not following God. It's not a sign that things are bad. It's actually normal and natural in human relationships for us to disagree Uh, And it's even normal and natural in human relationships for us to get frustrated with each other uh, and and to not see eye to eye. And so we sat down and read scripture and prayed together and developed this document because we wanted to find a way uh, rooted and based in scripture that we could learn to walk hand in hand even when we don't see eye to eye. Because we knew and we know that there are always going to be times like that in life, in God's church. And I think in a time like these days right now when our world is incredibly polarized, when our families are incredibly polarized, when uh, things are difficult, we're at each other more and more that we needed to take some time to kind of break the glass and talk through these promises that we made uh, as they're based on scripture. And so uh, we're talking about kind of the last um, part of our relational covenant. And, and the, the call is, uh, and, and for some reason I didn't put it in front of me here, but um, Our goal is we we agree to pursue unity in Christ through prayer, the reading of God's word, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And we do that by laying aside our preferences and choosing to walk hand in hand even when we don't see eye to eye. Uh, So that's that's the last point of our covenant. The idea is at the very end of the day, um, we're going to turn to scripture, we're going to turn to prayer, 
and we're going to follow God's lead together. And sometimes we're not going to see eye to eye. Uh, Maybe oftentimes we're not going to see eye to eye. And when we don't, we're going to lay aside our preferences, whatever it is that gets in the way, and choose to walk hand in hand even when we disagree, um, which, is a, which is a pretty radical notion. Um, we live in a world that, that kind of says the opposite. It says if you disagree, um, you should either fix that disagreement, silence that disagreement, or part ways. Those are, those are the three options. So if you disagree with your family members about, um, about politics or something, right, the solution is uh, to never see your family again, <laughs> to convince your family members, some people try to do that, to convince your family members that you're right all along, or, um, which is what most families do, to not talk about it because it's just not worth it, right? Because uh, we want to be together. Um, whereas, uh, you know, I believe our call is, you know, God calls us as different people from all kinds of different backgrounds and different ideas and, and even um, strong disagreements. And because we agree on something more important, he asks us to hold hand in hand even when we, we disagree. And so right now, you know, we live in a world where everything is just turned up to 25 on the volume scale, right? And there are, um, and it's not on accident, um, believe it or not, you know, there are strong, um, there are people in the world, and, I, and, you know, I'm not making any value judgments here or anything, but there are people in the world who have strong financial incentives, strong political incentives to convince you, if you're not convinced already, that you need to kind of join a side on kind of a a culture war. And that culture war, it it stretches to every aspect of human life, you know. Uh, And the idea is, and I I think our culture is is pushing us in in this way, that you've got to pick a side, and once you do, you've got to join 100% on that side, and everybody else on the other side is the devil, and everybody on my side is good. Uh, And so then we get into these situations where it's like, either uh, you're allowed to care um, about racial injustice in our country, or you're allowed to um, have friends and care about um, police officers that you know, right? It's one or the other. You can either care about, um, you know, terrible things that have happened, or you can decide those things don't matter and you only care about the police. Or if you care about the racial injustice, you have to decide, you know, everybody else on the other side is, is, a, is a monster, you know? Uh, or on the other side, you know, you, you can decide, um, do I care about, uh, you know, about, our, about health, Right? Or do I care about freedom? Those are the only two choices. You can either care about health or you can care about about freedom. And everybody wants us to choose a team and join in 100% and all these things are related. And and we're being encouraged to modify every aspect of our belief, of our lives, uh, to whatever that side is and perpetuate it. And you see it all the time because sometimes somebody on on one team adopts a belief of the other team, and then whoever's team they're on, they just like destroy them as fast as possible because you can't disagree. We got to be fully uniform. We can't get together unless we agree 150%. And, And deep down, all of us know this is ridiculous. All of us know that this is messing up our relationships. We're not sure what to do about it because these questions are important. These issues are important. Um, Really uh, important things are at stake. Um, and the other side, whoever it is, wherever you stand, the other side just seems so wrong. And yeah, I don't want to be like them, so I guess I got to be like us. And so this hits churches especially hard because um, we, we want to be united. We want to agree. We want to be on the same page. We want to believe the best about each other. And so sometimes we think that means we all have to 
have to have a you know perfect agreement, right? And so as we pursue unity as a as a church, uh, uh, you know how do we do that, right? What's the best way? Is it by avoiding conflicts? Um, churches do this really good. Families do. I do this really good. Uh, is it by avoiding difficult topics? Well, okay, well, I know that's kind of a thing, and so-and-so is not going to like that, and such-and-such such feels this way, so we're just not going to talk about it. Um, sometimes in the church and in our families, we just uh, pursue unity by, like, singing kumbaya. You know, we just say, we're united, we're united, we're united, for sure. If we just keep saying it, we'll, we'll be united. You know, do we force people to agree with everything uh, in order to be a part of our group? Do we ask people to remain silent if they don't agree with us? Uh, do we avoid spending too much time together and, and hearing what other people think? Well, that, you know, those are kind of the different ways that I think the church has done this, that I've done this in my own life. Uh, but what's really cool, uh, Colossians, the book of the Bible that we're looking at today, is written to a church that is right in the middle of its own uh, culture war. Uh, I mean, there's no better way to describe it. It's literally a battle uh, between two different cultures and two different ideas of what it means to be faithful Christians in the world that they're living in. So, so Colossians is, is written to this church, and, and they are, in all seriousness, in the middle of a, a culture war that is just tearing them apart. And it's just like uh, in church today. You know, it's, it's navigated by theological disagreements that are slightly off the point. Or, or it's navigated by kind of snide comments and little, well, if you really were faithful, maybe you'd, you'd live like this. In, in Paul's day, in, in Colossae, the town's name, um, these two kinds of people are 100% sure uh, that they're right on this issue and that everybody else is wrong. I've never heard that one before. Um, and where today uh, people might like, signal their team with like Facebook posts or um, if whether or not you, you cover your face, that's the one that we're fighting about right now, right? Um, you know, in, in their day, they signaled which team they were on by the food that they ate and the holidays they celebrated, okay? So, and I think we do a little bit of that today too, right? We signal that way. Uh, but in, in Colossae, some of the church members kind of had a, a more of a, a pagan flavor. They were Gentiles. They grew up Gentiles. And they were trying to take Jesus and fit him in to the celebrations that they liked to celebrate, to the food that they liked to eat, to the culture that they had uh, growing up. Uh, and on the other side, other people believed that in order to really know Jesus, you needed to live your life uh, as strictly as possible along the Jewish laws and customs that Jesus himself and his disciples kept. And you might be saying, well, that, that kind of makes sense. You know, that sounds like a good point. And believe it or not, right, both sides, both teams thought they were right. I know. Big surprise. Uh, two camps, both certain. And so the question that they were facing is, should our Christianity be marked by Gentile ways of life or by Jewish ways of life? What's, what's the right answer? And so one of the leaders at this church, a man named Epaphras, uh, reached out to Paul, a well-known missionary in the time, and said, hey, this is what's going on. We're at each other's throats. We're about uh, to fall apart. Paul, can you help us? And so uh, Paul, Paul writes them a letter, uh, a letter, and, and you know, they're hoping for somebody to come in and solve this dispute. So Paul writes them a letter, and I encourage you this week to, to read all of Colossians. It's, it's amazing, and it, it revolves around this question, this back, this back and forth. It's interesting stuff. It, it deals all over the place with the divisions and the polarizations in this ancient church culture war. 
Um, and it, it encourages me because as we have conflict, as we have disagreements, we can look back and say, okay, even the first churches, not long after Jesus died and rose again, struggled. They disagreed with each other. They got mad at each other. They thought some of the other people in their church maybe shouldn't be in, in their church. And as sad as that is, and it's sad as that we still deal with it today, uh, that God works in the middle of it. And God, um, God uses even people like us to be his church. And so Paul writes this letter. I encourage you to read it. Um, and it's interesting because in it, Paul refuses to solve the problem and answer their question. He refuses to say, okay, yep, you guys are right. You guys can get lost. Let's move on. No, um, he doesn't solve it in the way that I think they might have hoped. Uh, early in this letter, and the passage we're going to read is, is a little poem. It's a little poem that Paul writes about, uh, about who God is. And he invites us to, instead of deciding which team is, is right, to instead fix our eyes on Christ and hope that by fixing our eyes on Christ, we might find a new way forward to be his church. So this is it, uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And again, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and the New Living Translation tries to kind of preserve uh, this as a, as a poem, because it's a poem uh, that, that Paul is, is writing here. Uh, it goes like this. He's telling a story about Jesus. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Uh, and again, this is, he's reframed the conversation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So this is what Paul's saying, that if you want to know what God looks like, Christ is the image of that. And not only that, he was existent before creation, and everything else is under, under Christ. So it continues. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see. He made things like thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Uh, now, before we move on, Paul's making a really important point. He's saying that, okay, so here's God at the beginning of the timeline of history. Uh, he makes himself visible in Christ, and everything else in the universe that exists flows through Christ. Okay, so, so if you're looking at kind of the Venn diagram of the universe, uh, there's Christ is the big circle, and every other circle, everything that exists in the world is inside of that. So, right, not just the earth, not just the air, not just the bugs, not just, um, I don't know, you know, Patrick 7-Up. Um, all of those things are, are physical things in the world, but he also says everything in heaven flows out of Christ too. And so that means that every uh, throne or kingdom or ruler, political systems, theological disagreements, um, spiritual forces are all, um, they, they come through Christ. All created things draw their source in Christ. Everything was created, everything, through him and for him. Uh, so this is really important. He says, he existed before anything else. And not only this, what does Jesus do? It says he holds all creation together. So everything that we're in, everything that we see, everything that we think, everywhere that we go, everything that we do in heaven and on earth is contained inside that Venn diagram, that circle of Christ. And Christ holds it together, according to this poem, according to Paul. He says, not only that, Christ is the head of the church, 
which is his body. He's the beginning and supreme over all who rise from the dead. He's first in everything. So he's saying not only the universe, but also the church exists inside of Christ. Christ is the head, the source of the church, and everything that is in the church flows out of him. And, and, and then he kind of concludes. He says, and this is why. Therefore, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood and the cross. So it starts with God, who's in Christ. Everything is in him, all the stuff in the Venn diagram. And it all finds reconciliation at the very last day in Christ. It's all contained in him. Paul is, what he's trying to do is reframe how they think about reality how they think about what the most important foundational fundamental law of the world is, and he's helping them, he's helping us to find our place in that. What, what Paul is trying to say is Jesus is the source and sustainer of all things. Through his blood, everything on heaven and on earth are reconciled to him. Uh, so, so I'm just trying to, to make this clear, right? Jesus is God. All things come from him. All things are sustained and kept moving by him. And through his blood, all things are brought back together. Peace and reconciliation come all contained within Jesus, even people. Uh, Paul continues in verse 21 with a little, a little uh, paragraph about what this means. He says, this includes you. He says, you were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you. He's brought you back to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence, and you're holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. He says, but you must continue, and it's really important to Paul, and it's really important for us. He says, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away and assume that when you've heard the good news, the good news... Uh, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. He says, don't forget that everything has its roots in Christ. Don't forget that everything in, in your life has been brought back by his blood. Uh, Paul is saying, Jesus is the power on which everything runs. In a sense, he's present in everything and over everything. And so when you have... Um, an enemy. Your enemy is created, sustained, and, and in Christ, they can be reconciled. Uh, when you have a, um, a friend, they are also under that umbrella. When you have somebody that you think is a real jerk, they also fit under the umbrella of, of Christ as, as his creation. And not only that, uh, spiritual forces, uh, political structures, your beliefs, your views, they're all of them are smaller than God. All of them are inside of him rather than the other way around. And so as creator and sustainer, uh, God contains the universe and fills it up. So you're never outside of him. So no matter how different you are from somebody else, no matter how wrong somebody else is, you're connected through God from whom everything flows out of and to whom all of us can be reconciled. That means that there's nobody that's too far gone for reconciliation. And, and maybe this sounds like a little like new agey, you know, like all oh, life comes from the same fountain, man. Like we're all one. 
But Paul means it. Really, he means our source comes from Christ. And this is the story of the world. He tells them this so that they remember what the story of the world is. Um, That we're all connected, that we're all one in Christ. We're all made by the same God. We're all individuals that can be his children through his grace. Um, Oftentimes, we think the world is a bunch of different circles. There's uh, the good guys and the bad guys, there's the Republicans and the Democrats, there's the uh, smart people and the, the dumb people, the young people, the old people, and we think every battle between these groups is so important. In everything, it's, it's either us or them, it's right or wrong, it's good or evil, it's Whigs or Democrats, right? We tell ourselves all kinds of stories that divide our world into countries and beliefs and circles, and we think that to unite, we have to... We have to eliminate the other circle. We have to eliminate the other people. But Paul, inspired by the Holy, Holy Spirit, is saying this, that if we want to come towards other people, we don't have to destroy our differences. We just have to move towards Christ. In fact, if we move towards Christ, we can't help but being closer to other people, even people we disagree with, because Christ is at work in everyone. If we really believe in a creator, a sustainer, and redeemer, the closer we are to that creator, the further along the path we are in our relationships with others. Because all of these important questions, all these important debates, all these important disagreements, and they are important, are taking place in the middle of a much, much more, infinitely more important story. A story that takes eternity to play out. A story that I guarantee you a hundred years or a thousand years, we will not remember the disagreements we had with each other in just this time. Just like we don't remember the disagreements of Paul's first church because the story is bigger than those. And so instead of fighting and dividing and tearing each other down over so many different camps and arguments, our only choice is to move towards Christ and find peace. The thing that unites us as Christians is how we answer that fundamental question, what is the story of the world? Whatever those other things are, it's it's not about that. It's, It's about this. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All created things flow out of him. He's before all things and holds all things together. If we can believe that story, and stand firm in it, we'll find that our convictions, our debates, our politics, our culture, as important as they are, can be laid aside because we agree on a reality much deeper than party, philosophy, flag, family, geography, race, or idea. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All things come from him. In him, all things are held together. And through him, all things might be reconciled to him. Unity is not found in silencing disagreement and debate. It's not found in avoiding conflict. It's not found in forcing people to believe precisely as I believe. It's found when we, we choose it. We choose it when we move towards Christ, allowing him to move uh, towards us. So we're invited uh, to accept his offer of reconciliation. Um, as, As human beings, we all have that invitation to accept his sacrifice for us. There's no magic way to do it, um, but it starts with naming the reality of our sin. 
It continues with asking God for forgiveness. And it ends uh, by inviting the Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. And there are lots of different ways to say that. There are lots of different ways to accept that. But I want to invite you, if you've never done that before, to pray that with me right now. Would you, would you, pray, would you pray with me? Lord God, we live in a world full of questions, full of disagreements, full of polarization, and everything that happens every single day of the week seems so important. But when we study your scripture, we notice that the story you're telling is just so much bigger than the stories of our day. It's so much bigger than the nightly newscast. It's so much bigger than even the things that we think are the most important issues of our time and our place because your story started long before us and it ends long after us. And so, Lord, we come to you for reconciliation, to remember, to acknowledge, to accept your grace so that we can be a part of the story that you're telling on this earth. So, Lord, we, we come before you and we say, God, our evil, our sin, our failures are great. We are selfish people. I'm a selfish person. I can't uh, ignore it any longer. We're sorry. I'm sorry for the ways I fall short, God. For the sake of your son, Jesus, forgive me. By your Holy Spirit, make me new. God, we thank you for the work of reconciliation by the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. In your name, amen. If we make that choice, um, in, in Colossians three fifteen through 17, if we make that choice to be reconciled, to accept that gift, Paul gives us three things we can do when we're tempted to forget what the world really is about. Three things we can do uh, to return back to him. Uh, when we forget, we can do these three things. And it just, it goes like this. Uh, Colossians 3, um, sorry, 16 and 17. It says this, these three things. One, let the message of Christ, the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. When we're tempted to fall away, when we're tempted to get distracted by other important things, we let the message of Christ fill our lives in our community. And second, we teach and counsel each other with the wisdom that he gives. We sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, to God with thankful hearts. We worship with each other. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. So we let Christ's message fill our lives. We worship. We encourage. We pray for. We reach out to each other. And third, whatever we do or say, we do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. When we do those things, we remember who's in charge of the world. We remember who's ultimately has his hands at the wheel, the one who nothing is uncertain before. So may we let the message of Christ fill our lives. May we teach each other with the wisdom of Christ. And may we do everything as his representative on earth. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.